0: Hello, and welcome to the Wind Power Podcast. I'm Ian Griggs, Deputy Editor of Wind Power Monthly, and today we're going to be talking about green hydrogen. Green hydrogen has the potential to decarbonize the industry sectors that will be hardest to electrify in the coming energy transition to a renewables based energy system. But what is the best way to achieve that goal? What obstacles lie in its way? And what is the opportunity cost of producing it in the quantities needed? Here to answer those questions and more, we have François Paquet, Impact Director at the Renewable Hydrogen Coalition, an organisation which promotes the key role of renewable hydrogen in delivering the EU's long-term decarbonisation goals. Also joining us is Marta Lovisolo, Policy Advisor on Renewable Energy Systems at Bologna Europa, a non-profit organisation which focuses on industrial decarbonisation and climate solutions. And finally, we have Magnus Hillinglam, Hydrogen Lead for Northern Europe at DNV, the independent experts in assurance and risk management, working to preserve life, property and the environment. Welcome everybody and thanks very much indeed for joining me. I think we're going to start with the basics here. Could... You, Francois, perhaps quickly explain how green hydrogen is produced, in particular using wind power.
1: So basically, uh, renewable hydrogen is produced using renewable electricity from wind, for example, via a process called electrolysis. And through electrolysis, we split water into hydrogen and oxygen. And the hydrogen then is used in various sectors for deep decarbonization.
0: Marta, perhaps you could give us a stare on what's the point of producing green hydrogen at all? What can we use it for?
2: Currently, hydrogen contributes to climate change because today we make hydrogen from fossil fuels and um, its production generates emissions. It's one of the many sectors we need to decarbonize, and green hydrogen, we need to produce hydrogen from renewables to first and foremost decarbonize these existing needs that we have for hydrogen today. After this, if there is surplus of hydrogen, there's plenty of other sectors that can actually benefit uh, from hydrogen for their decarbonizations. Uh, We're talking about hard to abate sectors in industry, such as uh, uh, steel or high-temperature processes, like making glass or making ceramics, and also long-distance transport, so maritime shipping, intercontinental uh, aviation. I'm going to ask
0: all of you, really, what your individual assessments are of the potential for green hydrogen in terms of helping to decarbonize industries and contributing towards achieving net zero. Magnus, do you wanna kick us off on that?
3: Yes, uh, our assessment is that uh, hydrogen should only be used where electrification is not possible due to energy efficiency. And uh, in DNV, we forecast the potential for green and blue hydro- and low carbon hydrogen to be about three times as high in 2050 as today and uh, we might need three times more to achieve net zero.
0: François, have you anything to add? Well, for us, renewable
1: hydrogen is very much the missing link that allows to bring renewables where renewables cannot go in those sectors that cannot be electrified. What's really fantastic, um, I would even say a game changer, is that for the very first time, we have a scalable and sustainable alternative to using fossil fuels in sectors that are heavily reliant on those fossil fuel energies. Electricity for most sectors, and then renewable hydrogen for the extra
0: bits that cannot be electrified. Marta, do you have anything to add uh, on this?
2: Hydrogen has a role to play because there are sectors that cannot be directly electrified. But this second part is important. Sectors that can be directly electrified should be directly electrified because that's way more efficient. So hydrogen has a big role to play um, in sectors like uh, fertilizer production or um, um, other chemical sectors where hydrogen is a feedstock, is not a source of energy.
0: Talking of where it can or indeed can't be used, there have been some limited trials of green hydrogen for use in home heating in the UK, in Germany, and in the Netherlands. Magnus, what do you think about green hydrogen for use in home heating?
3: Yes, uh, we are part of several trials for using hydrogen for home heating. Uh, We have even built a row of terrace houses in Spade Adam, close to Newcastle, to test the heating systems with hydrogen. Uh, In most cases, electrification with heating with heat pumps is the most cost and energy efficient way for decarbonisation. But in some countries with the high-quality gas pipeline system, it could be more uh, cost-efficient for the society to develop uh, or repurpose the gas grids than building more power grids. Um, But of course, it has to be safe.
0: Do you think, in terms of public opinion, people would be comfortable with the idea of green hydrogen flowing around their homes to heat it? What do you think of that, Marta?
2: The key issue here is not even safety, it's availability of resources to uh, produce the amount of hydrogen that you would need to substitute gas in the grid. As a quick back on the envelope calculation, if you use all the electricity we have available in Europe today, renewable, fossil, nuclear, everything, and you turn it to an electrolyzer, you could produce enough hydrogen only to substitute 45% of the energy that today comes from fossil gas. These are completely enormous numbers. We cannot even start thinking how much electricity we need to produce hydrogen to substitute for gas. And this because every time we change state use of energy, we lose some energy along the value chain. So hydrogen by definition it's inefficient because We're changing energy several times to get from electricity to hydrogen, for instance, heat in our homes. So if there's a way to skip a step, and that's direct electrification, that's definitely way more efficient.
0: So we're going to turn now to investors and indeed attracting to the sector of green hydrogen. And how do we go about attracting investments to green hydrogen? Magnus, do you want to kick us off on this?
3: Yes, uh, green hydrogen is in most cases more expensive than uh, fossil-based so-called gray or black hydrogen. But there are some cases where green may be less costly, for instance, where there are grid constraints and locked-in power uh, in some regions. And it's possible then to produce green ammonia, which can compete with gray ammonia, since the gas prices are high. Uh, But I would like to add that it's really important that the medium and larger pilots now demonstrate safe and efficient operations in the coming years. And that the support schemes together with taxes on fossil hydrogen work together for some time to scale the industry.
0: François, how do we attract investors to this sector? Well, first, it is
1: ready for large-scale commercialization. So it's it's about moving from labs, trials, demonstration projects to large-scale applications. We are, in the coming years, going to see the mass commercialization of renewable hydrogen technologies. How do we attract investment in green hydrogen, in renewable hydrogen? The current obstacles that we face are rather linked to the regulatory uncertainty that we face. And, of course, the costs, as uh, mentioned by, by Magnus. Um, I think if we address those two obstacles all together.
2: There is no
0: discussion that renewable hydrogen will be the winner. And Marta, do you have some thoughts on how we attract investment to this sector?
2: Certainty, it's what it's needed for investments. So I think though that legislation needs to be future proof. So right now, many in the sectors are pushing to have lenient rules and they might actually seem attractive for investments in the short term. The problem is that this creates long-term risks. So if hydrogen won't be able to deliver on climate, eventually these rules will need to be revised and you would change completely the business case for those people producing hydrogen.
1: Can I just interrupt? Because legislation has the possibility to reduce uh, the uncertainty and can help reduce the cost as well to a certain extent. I think we've got to really work on three pillars in parallel, The first is to boost the supply of renewable hydrogen, but also renewable electrons. So we need to make sure we get together the policies that will allow to do that. We also need to create the demand, how we do that. And finally, we need to bridge the cost gap. If we manage to do that all together, we will make investments
0: unlocked for renewable hydrogen. How should governments resolve the stalemate for investors that there are currently no big buyers of green hydrogen?
1: We have to create the market indeed, and this is done by setting targets, mandating some sectors to buy renewable hydrogen in priority. We are talking first and in priority about those sectors that are consuming renewable uh, hydrogen today. This is really where the priority should be. There is already a demand in those sectors. And the demand is quite huge. We consume in Europe every year about 8 million tonnes of hydrogen, uh, roughly. So there is this demand that
0: we can directly shift to renewables. Is it now a question that governments need to mandate to certain businesses which are consuming vast amounts of hydrogen in, in Europe? Is it time now for the EU or member states to mandate to industries that they have to use green hydrogen instead of, say, grey hydrogen or blue hydrogen?
1: Look, the time is now. Uh, We see that the climate crisis year after year is becoming worse. It's time that we make the right investments. We only have a window of 30 years or less to really get the technologies that will bring deep decarbonisation. The investments that we do today will last for 25 years or so. So we need to send the signal to industry. And this is why setting targets for consuming renewable hydrogen in those key sectors where we see no alternative is the right thing to do. We are calling European authorities to get their act together. Uh, This is a question of leadership here, because what is being set in Europe will set the level of ambition for the rest of the world. We are in a race for clean technologies. The race for clean technologies has become an
0: economic imperative. Magnus, what role do you think using mechanisms such as contracts for difference, what role can they play in driving investment
3: well, contracts for difference can enable that uh, hydrogen production, first of all, but also storage, transport and new use can have the same learning rates as we have seen for solar, wind and batteries the past 10 to 20 years. So if the CFTs can work for a sufficiently long period with both with the necessary volume and time. Uh, while the fossil hydrogen have an increased emission cost, then uh, renewable hydrogen can start competing with fossil. And uh, we see that there are some mechanisms now that are beginning to work, both with uh, EU funding and also the new hydrogen bank, KINCO, uh, which will match producers uh, and off-takers with supporting the difference.
0: Could you explain the hydrogen bank? I'm not clear on this one.
3: It's a foundation that uh, now has issued different lots for... Uh, both uh, e-fuels, ammonia, and e-methanol, where producers can kind of bid uh, for how much volume they will provide to a certain price. And uh, this bank has a maximum price level that they can support. So now within the next weeks and months, uh, that system is trying to match the producers and the off-takers and paying the difference.
0: Marta, do you have a view on what role contracts for difference can play in driving investment?
2: Green hydrogen in the foreseeable future will be a limited resource. There's plenty of different industry that will be competing to receive this resource. And so for me, contract for difference can be very useful to actually bring that hydrogen to those sectors that have no alternative decarbonization pathways. So if public money is to be used to support hydrogen production and consumption, this should go to those sectors who actually need it to decarbonize in the most efficient way and not to those sectors that can just pay the most.
0: Anything you wish to add, uh, François, on this? The key
1: challenge to renewable hydrogen is the cost beyond also um, regulatory uncertainty. And this hydrogen bank announced by Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, comes very timely. For it to be a success, we need to ensure three things, simplicity, speed, and scale. Only a simple system can compete with other regions in the world uh, and what they are putting together at the moment. I'm thinking for, the, for example to the uh, US Inflation Reduction Act. We are calling for an EU-wide supply-side fixed premium of X Euros per kilogram of hydrogen. Um, and is for, for renewable hydrogen and its derivatives produced to bridge the full cost gap between the price of production by suppliers and the price that offtakers are ready to pay. As simple as that. And this support would be granted for a certain period of time, say 10, 15 years to bring certainty. The scale is about the amount, the amount of money put together behind this bank to make sure that we really can achieve the 50% target of renewable hydrogen offtake in industry. We know that we need 50% to be uh, renewable hydrogen by 2030, assuming that those targets being negotiated will be adopted. We need the money to be put on the table. At the moment, what we have seen in terms of money led out is not matching the amount of money required to achieve the target. Speed is also key. We need this bank to work by the end of this year, if possible. We know that the European Commission is working hard to make this happen. We cannot delay this further. Others are moving much faster than us in the world. If we don't do this, we will lose the leadership that we have.
0: François, you mentioned a price of X euros per kilogram of green hydrogen. Dare I ask, is there a ballpark figure that people like yourself have in mind for what that X figure should be?
1: Well, if you mirror what the US is doing, we'd need, for example, three euros per kilogram of hydrogen produced, And if you apply this to the demand that would go for renewable hydrogen according to the the target being set for industry, so 50%, we know roughly 4 million tons of renewable hydrogen will require. So if you calculate the total amount of subsidy required, we are around 12 billion euros. This is clearly at our reach to unlock private investments
0: in those priority sectors, those hard to electrify sectors. Let's talk about projects. Magnus, perhaps you could uh, take this question. What's the best direction of travel in your view? Gigawatt scale mega projects, perhaps using hybrid wind and solar platforms and then transporting it to where it's needed, or smaller local projects producing enough for the country or region where they're needed?
3: Well, hydrogen should as much as possible be produced and consumed directly or converted to a hydrogen carrier such as or methanol, uh, both to avoid costly storage. Uh, hydrogen is very expensive to store and transport, uh, but also to reduce the risks for accidents with fire and explosion if there's a leakage and ignition. However, scale can be very beneficial, for instance, if you have... Um, more than two gigawatts and more than 200 kilometers of transport distance. Some estimates shows that it's more cost efficient to transport the energy by molecules and hydrogen in pipelines rather than HVDC cables. And uh, when scaling wind with the transmission power grid may also not be able to handle all of the power. So if you look at ambitious uh, plans for offshore wind in the North Sea, for instance, in Europe, the power grid is not able to absorb all that power. So then if you want to be having energy security and also decarbonize hard to bait, uh, you have to produce hydrogen directly from wind and use pipelines at large scale with these energy islands and hubs, uh, for instance.
0: Master, small or large projects, what's most desirable?
2: I think it really depends from uh, the individual business case and uh, the individual off-takers. So if we're talking about, um, you know, a steel plant, probably you need a very big uh, project to supply that hydrogen.
0: Right. Is there a cost benefit in your view to developing hybrid wind solar projects for the production of green hydrogen?
2: Yes, there's definitely a cost benefit. If we're talking about pure renewable hydrogen. So pure renewable hydrogen needs to be produced with pure renewable electricity at all time. So uh, wind and solar, they have different production patterns. So often you have more wind at night and you have more sun during the day. And so this gives you way more hours in which your electrolyzers can run. So because your electrolyzer need to be on only when you are producing this renewable electricity for the hydrogen coming out of the electrolyzer to be renewable, then uh, putting together different renewable technologies, such as wind and PV, maybe some batteries for other hours, increase the amount of hours you can run your electrolyzer. And as a consequence, bring down the price.
0: Francois, I think one of the concerns here is that, according to targets that we have, is it desirable to divert up to 500 terawatt hours of renewable energy to green hydrogen in Europe alone, when wind capacity is not being deployed fast enough to meet our existing targets? Absolutely not.
1: We really need to make sure that we deploy more renewables. This is important for electrification of the economy. And this is important that we have additional renewables to produce renewable hydrogen in order to decarbonize those sectors that cannot be electrified without entering into this competition for renewable electrons. We've got to really tackle the bottlenecks that we face to really address this, this challenge. This is um, under the, the, the concept of additionality uh, many of us are, are discussing Um quite a lot. And how do we make sure that we bring more renewables uh, in order to produce renewable hydrogen volumes that we need? One of the key bottleneck we have to address is permitting.
0: It's the bugbear,
1: right? Exactly. Permitting is really the major obstacle we see at the moment. Every single government serious about renewables deployment has to tackle this issue as a matter of urgency. This is a national security issue at the moment.
0: Magnus, can we do what Francois is suggesting and produce enough additional renewable energy capacity simply to serve the green hydrogen market?
3: For Europe, uh, it will always be a net importer of energy. Uh, We cannot produce all the energy ourselves, either power or molecules, so we have to uh, enable imports as well of, for instance, renewable hydrogen as ammonia produced in other low-cost regions in the world. So, But I think hydrogen can provide an additional kind of service to the energy system when you have so much uh, power produced and also grid constraints that it can be stored and moved in space and time to provide energy security, but even food security when it's converted into ammonia.
0: Master. Are we living in cloud cuckoo land here? Do do we have any chance whatsoever in your view of producing enough renewable energy to to have all the green hydrogen we need as well as all the clean electricity we need across Europe? Can we get anywhere close to this, Marta?
2: I think the targets discussed uh, in the moment in the EU are very ambitious. Now the question is, are they too ambitious? And I think time will tell. Now having 500 terawatt hour of excess electricity available in 2030, it's probably not very realistic. But if we can speed up permitting, if we can deploy um, electricity grids and bring those electrons from where they can be um, produced in mass and to where need to be consumed for our industries and for our electrolyzers, then maybe we can approach that target. But this comes with deployment of Renewables and massive deployment of electricity grids that they can actually move those electrons around.
0: Francois, un- under the Repower EU package, the European Commission proposed a target of 10 million tons of domestic renewable hydrogen production and another 10 million tons of imports by 2030. How realistic do you think these targets are, and what needs to be done first to achieve them?
1: Yeah, so indeed, the targets are very ambitious. Um, and this is why if we want to make this feasible, uh, taking a priority approach towards the um, deployment of renewable hydrogen in priority sectors is so important. Let's not open the tap for any sectors, especially in this early phase, when we have scarcity of renewable electrons uh, to cope with the decarbonization needs of the economy. So this priority approach allows us to reduce the pressure on electricity grids, allows us to reduce the need for renewable electrons in order to really cope with the sectors that have no alternative. Now, if you really want to make this happen, we really have to talk about the bottleneck very seriously. It took us four decades to get the first terawatt of solar energy on the grid. It will only take three years to get the next one. That tells you the magnitude of change that is coming up. And I'm fairly confident that uh, this learning curve um, that that took several years for renewables to come uh, on the grid will apply from the start with renewable hydrogen. We will not have to wait that long. Permitting will have to be faster, simpler, but I think the mindset is coming. And then we need to really address the value chain which have to be capable of catering for the enormous demands coming up for renewables. We need to be capable of building the wind turbines, building the solar panels, building the electrolyzers. We urgently need to massively train people into those jobs. And this is an opportunity for Europe as well. And finally, this is also about um, creating the demand, as I mentioned, Uh, not having compulsory targets, may not send the right signal to industry. And this would delay the development of a hydrogen economy in Europe. Last, I think we really have to look at the global developments at the moment. We are in a situation where we have to take into account the fact that in Europe, we have high quality manufacturing. We need to protect that industry. It's about really bringing sustainability standards elsewhere in the world so that our industry can compete fairly with the rest of the world.
0: That's broadly optimistic, François, which I mean, I I like a note of optimism on the Wind Power podcast, actually. Does anybody else have anything to add on that point? Yeah, go for it, Magnus. Yeah,
3: Yeah, regarding the EU production and import targets, uh, our estimates in our uh, energy transition outlook forecasts show that EU will unfortunately not reach the targets for 10 million tons of renewable hydrogen production in 2030.
0: For you, Marta, are there any European countries which are emerging as the potential leaders in producing green hydrogen? And can we learn anything from them?
2: Countries with a very big potential for renewables are the countries that will have a big potential for renewable hydrogen, because you need those electrons to produce the hydrogen. So I'm thinking about countries like Spain, um, Portugal, where there is um, a big potential to deploy uh, renewables and where governments are investing in that direction. Um, Thinking that hydrogen can be massively produced in places which do not have the renewable potential is
3: problematic.
0: Are there any leaders for you, Magnus? These are the countries to watch. These are the countries which are showing leadership.
3: We also see that Netherlands and UK and Germany, which are large users and also have an advanced uh, gas grid, can take a leading part. Uh, and For instance, Denmark might play a hub after the Esbjerg uh, uh, EU uh, declaration with the energy islands and the import corridors, both in the North Sea and the Baltic Sea.
0: You mentioned, Francois, the need to, for us to avoid energy shocks created by geopolitical events. What role can green hydrogen play in helping Europe to wean itself off Russian energy in general? Uh, you're right to mention that
1: um, the war in Ukraine is a wake-up call for Europe. We now see the consequences, for example, in countries like Germany, uh, heavily industrialised, that are heavily dependent on natural gas imported from Russia. Uh, And all of a sudden, you see major production sites of key industries on a standstill, basically stopped because the price of energy is too expensive. So ramping up renewables, be it electricity or renewable hydrogen, is of utmost importance. We really have to bring that back. And numbers are quite staggering. It's estimated that um, deploying renewable hydrogen according to the targets proposed, assuming that they will be uh, adopted, would reduce uh, the consumption of natural gas uh, of 35 billion cubic meters. Renewable hydrogen can become a solution to a relatively short-term scale uh, if we put together um, the means and efforts to tackle the obstacles that we discussed earlier.
0: Has anyone else in in the room got a, a view on green hydrogen's role in weaning Europe off Russian energy? Yes, Marta.
2: I need to disagree with Francois. So I think that if Europe wants to actually uh, shield itself from um, importing more gas from Russia, then what we need to do is cut down gas demand. In Europe. And that doesn't come from hydrogen. That comes from home heating. That comes from all those sectors that use a lot of gas on a daily basis. If our only objective is to shield Europe from uh, importing gas from Russia, then we should not be producing hydrogen. We should be using those renewables to displace heat demand in homes and heat our homes with heat pumps.
0: Finally, I'm going to go around the room on this question, and I'll, I'll start with you, Magnus, if I may. Do you think this year will put green hydrogen on, on the map as a viable component of the
3: path towards net zero in Europe or beyond? The train is kind of moving slowly and steadily. Uh, there are uh, all from startups to really large oil and gas majors working on developing projects and detailing them. But everybody is kind of waiting for the final uh, regulation and innovation on that part. Uh, but there is uh, kind of like a most likely like catch-up effect. I
1: think renewable hydrogen is already on the map. Uh, all major economies have a hydrogen strategy. We have to really look at where renewable hydrogen makes most sense. Um, and those strategies will, which will be successful, I think, uh, will be uh, the prioritization of sectors in order to avoid paying the cost for suboptimal solutions. So Marta mentioned it very well. There are sectors that are more fit for renewable hydrogen than others, and this will allow to reduce the cost of the overall energy transition. Then comes the key question and why those countries have hydrogen strategies. This is because major economies want to lead this new market and the clean technology race that goes with it. And here I take the broader sense of the technology race, renewable hydrogen technologies, but also the upstream value chain technologies, wind turbines, PV panels. And here there is an economic battle uh, that countries really want to win because it will bring economic wealth um, and and jobs uh, to their economies. Another um, important area of work uh, for those member states will be to ensure that we put more R&D support to develop the next generation of technologies. We often hear that electrolyzers are, are not efficient, roughly 40% efficiency. New electrolyzers now, uh, SOEC technology, for example, reaches an efficiency of 85%. This is also changing somehow this efficiency question that will unlock the potential of renewable hydrogen, but there is still a lot of obstacles to tackle
0: first. Thank you, Francois. Marcel, I'm going to give you the, the last word.
2: So it's clear to me and I think to most of us that hydrogen will need to play a role in the path toward decarbonization. But it can only do so if it doesn't increase emissions in other part of the energy system and the power systems uh, in particular. So if the question is what happens in 2023, I guess that if 2023 will bring um, strict mandate and strict climate standards for hydrogen it might actually have a big role and a big potential to turn the current hydrogen hype into something that is maybe smaller but actually useful for the path toward net zero
0: thank you very much indeed Marta Magnus-Francois thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the wind power podcast Thanks for listening to the Wind Power Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode to explore the issues which are driving the wind industry. In the meantime, for the latest news, expert opinion and analysis, visit windpowermonthly.co.uk for daily updates or to sign up for one of our specialist bulletins delivered straight to your inbox. Finally, the Blades USA Conference returns to Austin, Texas from the 22nd to the 23rd of March. The conference will provide owner-operators and the Blade supply chain with business-critical insights on technical innovations and strategic developments. For more details, visit bladesusaforum.com.